Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon titled, Four Unlikely Women, coming out of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Please take out your Bible today and go to Matthew chapter 1. The... Uh, there were a bunch of guys that were, uh, one time after they finished working out in the gym, they were hanging out in the locker room. And a cell phone rang, and one guy, without hesitation, reached over, picked up the phone, and he said, hello? And she said, hello, honey, it's me. And he said, sugar. And she said, look, I wanted to call you because I'm out shopping, and I have uh, I found this beautiful mink coat, and it's a great deal. And he said, well, how much? She said, $1,500. And he said, all right, I think you should go ahead and get it. And she said, hey, and I wanted to tell you as well, uh, before I came shopping, I drove by the Mercedes-Benz dealership. And they've got the new models out. And it's a great, great price. I can get the one I want for only $90,000. And he said, well... Okay, go ahead and get that, but make sure you get all the upgrades for that price. And she said, and I hate to mention it, but you know, while we're here, I just thought I'd go ahead and tell you that I drove by the real estate office today. Do you remember last year that house that we were looking at that we didn't purchase? Well, it's still on the market. You remember the one, the beach house with a pool and a garden? And they've come down on the price. It's a great price. He said, how much are they asking? She said, 1.2 million. And he said, mm, yeah, that is a good price. I tell you what, though, come in with the offer of 999,000. And let's see, let's see if they'll take that. And she said, okay, okay, thank you. I'll see you later. I love you. And he said, I love you too. And he hung up. And when he hung up, he stood up. He took the cell phone, he held it up, and he said, does anybody know whose cell phone this is? It was not his cell phone. That was not his wife. But he got some old boy into trouble big time. Uh, I got a feeling there was a lot of difficulty that was happening at that house that night. But you know, there's a lot of difficulty that happens in families. I know whenever you start your family, you kind of have this idea that you are going to be this, just this perfect hallmark little family. And then all of a sudden you start examining it and you're like, oh, we're a little bit more like Nightmare on Elm Street. That's who, that's who we are. Uh, you stop and think about it. I mean, sometimes the prince runs off with the secretary. Sometimes the princess abandons the family to go and find herself. Sometimes the royal offspring, they have drug problems. Sometimes the factory has layoffs and it puts the family right on the brink of bankruptcy. I'm just saying, guys, we all have this idea of what the family is supposed to be and this family being a fairy tale, but the reality is sometimes families bring great anguish in our lives. Sometimes our families are the greatest source of happiness in our lives. Sometimes family members can cause difficulties. When you start looking through the Bible for families that have difficulties, you don't have to go very far. The reality is you can open up to almost any book of the Bible and you're going to see real families filled with real people who had real pains, who had real problems, and real disappointments. Ever since Cain killed Abel, we've been raising Cain's. I mean, if we're Abel, we have been. Today, I want us to look at a messed up family. And I think the best place to start is the earthly family of Jesus. Look there with me, Matthew chapter one, 
We could cover all 16 verses, but we'll only look at six of them, and you can read the rest as we go along. But he says there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab, and Amenadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And if you skip all the way down to verse 16, you see where it says, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. If you study Matthew chapter one, it's as if God has decided, I'm going to make a list of the worst of the worst. I mean, honestly, when we look at this, this being the very lineage of Jesus Christ, it's mind-blowing the people that are mentioned here. For instance, it mentions Abraham there, the Jews. Think a lot of Abraham, Abraham the father of their faith, yet we know about Abraham that he lied. He lied about Sarah, his wife. You look, there's a name mentioned there, Isaac. Isaac did the very same thing, he was a liar. Jacob is mentioned there, Jacob was a cheater. Judah's there. He was a fornicator. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon was a polygamist. If you look down in verse 9, it mentions Manasseh. Manasseh was the most evil king that Israel ever had. And on and on and on we could go. We could pick apart every single name on every verse, and the stories are going to sound a lot the same. This is not a list of super saints. Far from it. Some are not even saints at all. The best of these men had flaws. Some of them were so flawed that it's hard for us to see any good points at all. So why is this listed here? What is the importance of this? I know many of you, as you've been studying through the Bible, when you come to Matthew chapter one and you deal with about three hard names, you're like, I think I'll skip to Matthew chapter two. I don't need to know all this. No, friend, we need to know all this. But why? Well, we see the grace of God. I would argue with you that Matthew chapter 1 is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible exhibiting the very grace of God. You say, how? How does it show the grace of God with all these names? Hard name begot hard name begot hard name begot hard name. It's the grace of God. Why? Because people like this make up the Messiah's family tree. A murderer is on the list. An adulterer is on the list. A liar is right here on the list. A deceiver is on the list. Most of these men, they were not just sinners, they were great at sinning. And then we also have something very unique. Four women are on this list. Very seldom when you were studying Jewish heritage and they started laying out the genealogy, are you going to see any names of women? Yet God made it very clear that there are women included on this list. You look down through there and it includes, in verse three, it mentions Tamar. In verse five, Rahab. In verse five, Ruth. In verse six, Bathsheba, all of them unlikely people. With the exception of Ruth, not a one of them possess an exemplary character. Not one. So what I want us to do this morning is, first, we're gonna look at this list of women. All four of them, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna say, why are we looking at this list of women? 
What is the importance? Now, I think you would agree with me this morning that if Matthew chapter 1, if it weren't profitable for you and I as followers of Christ, then it wouldn't have been in the Bible. Would you believe that? You believe God's big enough and strong enough to include what he wants to include and leave out what he wants to leave out? Absolutely. So understand, this is just as important as John chapter 3. Just as important as Romans chapter 8. Matthew chapter 1. Let's look at the list of women. First of all, Tamar. Tamar. If you want to know more about the story of Tamar, you can go to Genesis chapter 38 and you can read all about Tamar. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham. Judah had a son by the name of Ur. Ur married Tamar. Tamar was a Gentile. Now that was highly forbidden. They did not like that. They frowned upon a Jew marrying a Gentile, but Ur married Tamar, a Gentile. Ur died. And then his brother Onan rose up and did his brotherly duty. What was the brotherly duty? That if a brother died and he had a wife and she had no children, then the brother was to take her as his own wife. First of all, can we just say, thank God that's not custom anymore. And then all of a sudden, Onan died. Two brothers, both married to Tamar, and they both died. And he dies leaving Tamar husbandless and childless. That's kind of a twin curse in those days. There was another brother by the name of Shelah. And Sheila's like, I don't want no part of Tamar. You marry her and you die. And the dad comes along and the dad says, hey, listen, listen, he's not old enough right now. Let's let him get a little bit older. Judah says this, and, and then you can marry him. And then he gets older and he still doesn't allow her to marry him. And so here she is, she's husbandless, she's childless. And instead of her waiting on God to provide, she says, I gotta go ahead and take matters into my own hands. And she deceived, or she, she created this deceptive plan and she dressed up like a prostitute and she, she skipped to have her father-in-law, Judah, sleep with her. And he did. She becomes pregnant. She gives birth to two twin sons. They're mentioned here, Perez and Zerah. When she confronted Judah with the truth, Judah said this about Tamar. He said, she's more righteous than I am. He's saying, I'm wicked. I, I sinned. I, I, I did a terrible deed there. And he was right. But nobody looks at this story and nobody says, hey, this is a good story. No, the story reeks of greed and deception and illegitimacy and prostitution and sexual lust. Whatever you can say about Judah, and it's not very good, you cannot by any stretch of the imagination Make Tamar look good. I'd say it this way. She's only a little bit better than her wicked father-in-law. Or maybe a better way to say it is this. She's a little less bad than her wicked father-in-law. What she did was evil. Even though it was not her job, it was not her trade, she acted like a prostitute. And let me just stop and say this. This is all we know about her. This is it. This is all we know about Tamar. There's not even a happy ending to this story that I can bring you today. It's like she's just this unsavory footnote in biblical history. And so we have the story of Judah and the story of Tamar. And it, and it unfolds like so many stories today. A story of human frailty. A story of the sinfulness of human flesh. And they're in the lineage of Jesus. Judah and Tamar right here on the list. And I'm just saying, guys, it sends a strong message. What is the message? God is a gracious God. 
God is a gracious God. Not one of them, Judah or Tamar, deserve the very grace of God, but yet they still receive the grace of God. How do we know? They're on the list. But not only Tamar. Secondly, we see Rahab. Some of you are like, I think I've heard of her before. All throughout Scripture, wherever Rahab is mentioned, how would you like this to be your tagline? It's always Rahab the harlot. Some of you are like, I don't understand that word harlot. Let me just say this. You don't want to be known that way. Very immoral. Sexual deviant. A prostitute, whatever it may be, but... There she is. She's not only mentioned as a harlot, but she's also a Canaanite. Why is that important? They were hated by the Jews, despised, bitter enemies of the Jews. And the most exemplary deed that we see in her life is of telling a lie. Well, I know she was a harlot and I know she was a Canaanite, but you got to give it to her. That girl could lie. She is good at that. Well, she was. She was. You wouldn't think she would have had much chance of making the list, but here she is. Her story involves the larger story of Joshua. As he's leading the Israelites, and they're going into the promised land, and they're going in, they're taking what God has already given them, the land, and they come up on this huge fortified city of Jericho. And so Joshua sends spies in, and the spies come in, and the spies go to Rahab, and they're like, hey, listen, if you'll hide us, when we finally come and we take the city, we'll make sure that you and your family have safe passage. And so she did. She hid them. The king of Jericho came along, and the king of Jericho said, hey, send out the Israelite spies. Rahab said, they're not here. They've already left. And they were hiding on the roof. And so she safely helped them get out of there, lowering them down the wall by a rope. And she, she agreed to do what they had asked her to do. And it's a great story, but don't miss the fact that she was a harlot. She didn't pretend to be one. That was her job. Do you know why the men hid at her place? Because the people were so accustomed to seeing strangers go in and out of her house at all times of the day. And so it would have made perfect sense. Nobody would have questioned it. You also can't deny the fact that she told a bald-faced lie. What good can we say about Rahab? I'll tell you. She was a woman of faith. Don't take my word for it. Take what the Bible says. There it is, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. Look at what it says. It says, by faith, the harlot Rahab, just in case you confuse her with a different Rahab, did not perish with those who did not believe. She was a believer. She had faith. That when the invasion happened, she was spared. And over the course of time, don't miss this, over the course of time, Rahab the harlot, the Canaanite harlot, the great liar, became the great-great-grandmother of King David. She's on the list. She made the list a woman of faith. She is part of the tree of the Messiah. Jesus Christ, so we have Tamar, we have Rahab, but then there's somebody else on the list, Ruth. The most significant point about Ruth, I mean, out of all of them, if you had to say somebody, which one was the best, it would clearly be Ruth, because really the only thing that you can say about Ruth is this, she wasn't a Jew, but she was from the country of Moabite. She, 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 she was... She was so hated, she was so despised, the Moabites, incredibly evil as well as bitter enemies of Israel. The Jews hated the Moabites, didn't want to have anything to do with the Moabites. The Old Testament book, Ruth, which bears her name, it tells this beautiful romantic story of Ruth, the Moabitess, and Boaz, the Israelite. And they were a very unlikely couple. 
But in God's providence, they were brought together in marriage. They had a son named Obed. And then Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David, making Ruth David's great-grandmother. And that's how a person goes from the nation of Moab into the very tree of Jesus' family, the very genealogy of Jesus, the line of the Messiah. I'm just saying these are four unlikely women. You have Tamar, you have Rahab, you have Ruth, but then we're not saving the best for last, but here she is, Bathsheba. They don't even mention her by name. Matter of fact, look in verse six. She's identified as the woman who had been Uriah's wife. I don't even have to tell you the story. Most of you know the story of adultery between King David and Bathsheba very well. Adultery was only the beginning because before it was all over with, it included lying, it included a royal cover-up, it also included ultimately murder. And so as a result, the child that was conceived that night after it was born, while it was still an infant, died. And then all of a sudden, David's family began to crumble, and David's empire began to crumble. Eventually, David would marry Bathsheba, and they would have another son by the name of Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. Now, that's quite a result from a union that began through adultery. I'm just saying, guys, we can try to clean it up all day. There's dirt all over this episode. But don't miss the point, Bathsheba made the list. Now, before going on, let's think about these four women for just a moment, right? We have Tamar, Tamar, immorality. Tamar, pretending to be a prostitute. Tamar, a Gentile in the very lineage of the Jewish Messiah? Are you kidding me? Rahab, Rahab, the harlot. Rahab, the liar. Rahab, deception. Rahab, a Canaanite in the very lineage of the Jewish Messiah. Ruth. A woman from Moab listed in the family tree of the Jewish Messiah, Bathsheba, the adulteress. Four unlikely women. Three of them are Gentiles. Three of them involved in some sort of sexual immorality. You have two of them that are in prostitution. You have one of them that's involved in adultery. All four of them are listed right here in the Bible as a part of the list that leads to Jesus Christ. The greatest gift the world has ever known. And they're all listed right here. Now, if I'd been the one writing the Bible, I would have said, we gotta sanitize this thing a little bit. Man, we can't list all the crazy, crazy folks in our heritage here. We, we, we've gotta make it sound a little bit better. Or we just leave them out all together. But remember what you said? Remember you agreed with me that God included what he wanted us to know in the word and what he didn't want us to know he left out? That Matthew 1 is just as important as John chapter 3, as Romans chapter 8. Remember you agreed with me on that? Because if you didn't agree with me, then we can pray and go home now. I said, did you agree with me on that one? All right, just making sure I know what I'm working with here. Why? Why would God include not only these four women, but even the men that are there? Well, that leads us to the second thing I want to talk about. The lasting lessons from this list. Why? Why would God include them in this list? Why would he even, not only the women, but Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David, they were sinners too. Why include people like that in the list? The first lasting lesson to answer the question of why here is, I think God did it so that he might send a message to self-righteous people. The book of Matthew was written especially for the Jews, even though it was written for you and I as well. But it was written for the Jews. Many of their leaders were pious. Their leaders, the largest sect was known as the Pharisees. 
They were self-righteous and they were judgmental towards others. Listen to this. They thought that they truly deserved eternal life. They thought that they lived such a good life that God declared that they truly were good. That it wasn't a situation of God being a gift to them, it was them being a gift to God. So here they are, they're reading this genealogy. What a shock it would have been for them to read this genealogy because it is so filled with liars and murderers and thieves and harlots and adulterers. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a clean family tree. Can we be truthful? Looks a lot like some of ours. I know some of you guys are like, I just wanna know where I came from and I saw this commercial and, and so I, uh, I sent all my information so they can, they can tell me what my heritage looks like and they worked on it and they sent back their report and you read through it and you're like, I wish I didn't know. This is not clean. Remember, we said it's not sanitized here at all. The list was this stinging rebuke to this kind of judgmental self-righteousness. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Do you know what this means, guys? This means Jesus had a messed up family too. It means the very ones that are listed in his family tree, they were a long line of sinners. What's the lasting lesson? Why? I think God's sending a message to self-righteous people. It is my grace. It is me. It's not you. That I will work through the most unlikely candidates. But I think there's a second lesson. I think he did it so that his grace might be richly displayed. If you come from a family like this, I mean, some of you this morning are like, makes me feel a little bit better about mine. Now, I, you know, I only have one harlot in my past, and you know what I mean, Jesus had a bunch of them. You can't exactly boast of your heritage if this is your family, can you? Oh, yeah, I mean, you could sit there and say, well, you know, some of them were kings and some of them were rulers, and, but they were also great sinners. Hey, before we go any further, I think it's important for me to ask you this question. You feel free to answer it out loud, provided you have the right answer. Can a prostitute go to heaven? Yes or no? Can an adulterer go to heaven? Yes. Can a murderer go to heaven? Can a liar go to heaven? Yes, how do we know that? Because Rahab and David are both going to be in heaven. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a liar. David was a, an adulterer and David was a murderer. And so when you read the stories of these four women and all these men on the list, what you and I wanna do is we wanna focus on their sin. I mean, I've spent a great deal of time this morning just saying, here's what they did wrong. Here's how messed up they were. Can you believe how messed up they were? Some of you even recoiled saying, I can't believe he's even talking about this. Well, it's in the Bible. And we wanna focus on the sin. He didn't give us the list for you and I to focus on the sin. Do you know why he gave us the list? So we'd focus on God's grace. So we would focus on the very grace of God. Hear me, guys. The hero of the story is God. That God's grace is shining through the darkest of sin as God chooses flawed men and flawed women and he placed them in Jesus' family tree. Why? Why include this? He's letting you and I know Hey, it's not about you. It's not about the sin. But I richly give grace. Can I just say, I'm thankful the Bible doesn't sanitize it. 
I'm thankful the Bible shares with us that God's grace covers a multitude of sins. There are some of you listening this morning and, and you've had the devil come along and lie to you and say, well, you know, I know what that preacher says. Another preacher says that God will forgive you, that God will save you. But man, you've done some wicked, wicked things and yet you've heard this list today and you're like, well, my goodness, I hadn't done anything like that. And it's all about his grace. Let me give you the third one. I think he did it so we would focus on Jesus. Have you found that when you're sharing Jesus Christ and you talk about what he has done in your life and you begin to share the story of here he was, fully God, fully man, yet he knew no sin. And a lot of folks are intimidated by Jesus. A lot of folks who don't know him, and maybe you were one of these at one time and now you're in Christ, but a lot of folks think Jesus is just too good to be true. And I think the reason why Matthew chapter one covers this genealogy the way that it does is to let us know that Jesus, I mean, he had a background a lot like you and our, you and, my, uh, you and I do. Matter of fact, Jesus called himself the friend of sinners. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. That's the reason why when the angel showed up, the angel said, you shall name him Jesus. Why? Because he'll save his people from their sin. He called himself the son of man. Listen to what he said in Luke 19.10. He said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We're a week away from Christmas. Here's what's gonna happen over the next week. There are many of you that are gonna be headed home for Christmas. And there are some of you that are like, man, if I could just come up with a good reason why I don't have to. If I could just come up with a good excuse. There's some family that you know, you're like, man, I really look forward to seeing them. And then there are some family that you're like, boy, I could live just fine if I never saw them again. And you're gonna come into contact with some folks out there with, they've embarrassed you, possibly hurt you in the past. Mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, uncles and aunts, grandparents, extended family. And some are liars. And some are filled with anger and bitterness. And some are just flat out bizarre. And by the way, can I just say this? If you and your spouse or you and your family constantly have the conversation about everyone else being weird, the whole world's not weird. It's you. Yeah, you're the weird one of the group, right? And that's every single one of us, guys. Jesus understands the way we feel. Jesus came from a less respectable family. I mean, here's his family decorated for the whole world to see with notable sinners. Jesus knows what it's like to have relatives that embarrass you. Jesus knows all about those dysfunctional family situations. But I'll tell you, there is good news from Jesus' family tree. No matter what you passed, Jesus can save you. Are there any messed up folks that are sitting in this room today? Are there any messed up folks that are listening to these words today, either through television or you've tuned in to us online? Are there anybody out there that's an adulterer that are hearing these words today? Any liars hearing these words today? Any prostitutes hearing these words today? Any cheaters hearing these words today? Any angry people hearing these words today? We have a large group of individuals that are incarcerated right now that watch our program every single week. Are there any thieves or any convicts that are hearing these words today? And just to make sure I include everybody, are there any hypocrites hearing these words today? 
The good news through Matthew chapter one is that no matter what you've done in the past, Jesus can save you. If a harlot can be saved, you can be saved. If a murderer can be transformed, you can be transformed. That no matter what your past looks like, no matter how your present currently feels like, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God will give you a brand new start. That is Matthew chapter 1. And I know some of you are thinking this morning, man, I'm just glad to know that there's somebody else out there that comes from a broken family. And you're right. You're right. There's a lot of dysfunction in the list in Jesus' family tree. There's a lot of brokenness in the list. There's a lot of pain in the list. And he knows exactly what you're going through. This unlikely list of unlikely people in Matthew 1. It may be the greatest chapter of the grace of God in the whole Bible. Because in these forgotten names of fallen men and fallen women from the past, we see what the grace of God can do. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He will save his people from their sin. Please hear me, friend. He did not come to make you religious. He came to redeem you. He did not come to make you self-righteous. He came to save you. Jesus Christ did not leave heaven, put on flesh, walk this side, come for moral reformation. Jesus Christ came to give you eternal salvation. And as strange as this may seem, the worse you are, the greater sinner you are, the better candidate you are for the grace of God. That he came to do for you and I what you and I can never do for ourselves. He came to save us of our sin. And the same grace that was extended to Tamar, the same grace that was extended to Rahab, the same grace that was extended to the Moabite Ruth, and the same grace that was extended to Bathsheba, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob is the very same grace that he extends to every single one of you today. I invite you to come in Jesus' name and be forgiven. Hey guys, he's already made the first step. He's made the first move. He's already done all that needs to be done. You're like, I'd be the most unlikely of candidates. I know, right? Me too. But I remind you, you're not the hero of the story. God is. One of the things that we've been able to do as a church this past year, and we didn't plan for it, we didn't budget for it, <laughs> but we clearly knew that God was working in it. We planted a church over in Windmark Beach, which is in between Mexico Beach and Port St. Joe. Community there that was growing, a lot of homes being built, and there was no church that met there. And so Scott White, who's our pastor there, and his wife Millie, and we started praying and looking and researching and you know, we, we should plant a church, and here's, here's where we planted it, a building that they meet in. And When it first started, it's interesting. The building that they meet in, I'm probably not even supposed to say this, so if we need to cut this out of TV, we'll do that, right? I'm just sharing this with, a, I don't know, a thousand or so of my closest friends. The, um, 
the building rented for $4,000 a day. And, and we're like, well, number one, we don't have $4,000. We, we got zero budgeted. Boy, we feel like this is where we're supposed to meet. And uh, started praying, started reaching out. God started opening doors and getting us into communication with the right folks. And when it was all said and done, they said, no, we think we can do better than that. We're not going to rent it to you for $4,000 a time. It's a beautiful facility. Um, we'll do it for 300 And I'm like, hey, that's a great deal. 300 a, a, a day. No, no, no. 300 for the month. Uh, y'all just take care of the utilities. But you only have it on Sunday. Anyway, we've been doing it now about four months. And, uh, and, and now they have it all the time. Every day. It's just a church building now. Over the course of these four months, we've seen God do some amazing things. They've, they've baptized now almost 15 people. Uh, they just baptized right out there in the ocean, out there in the Gulf. Um, so uh, they, were, they were figuring out what they were going to do, and they'll figure it out. They, 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 they don't want to wait till spring for other people to get saved. Anyway, so the, uh, out of all the places, and yet, boy, we know this is exactly where we're supposed to be. A restaurant right next door. The gentleman owns the restaurant. The whites started building a relationship with him as well as other people in the church. Church is now running two services because one's not big enough to house everybody. And though, they started befriending this owner of this restaurant. They moved to Port St. Joe from Chicago. Uh, they started talking to him about spiritual things, and he was raised um, uh, in, in his description as a Buddhist Catholic. That sounds right. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it really, you know, you're just like, wow, how do you? Anyway, family came over from, from Vietnam. I believe that's right. And they just started loving on him and people from the church, they'd have church services on Sunday and after church they'd say, well, let's go over here and eat. And the whole lot of them would pile over there and, and eat. And then they started praying for this particular man's soul. Now stop and think about this. Out of all the places in the world, this guy could go. The Lord took him to Winmark Beach. I mean, it's a suburb of Port St. Joe and Weewa. You know, it's a suburb of those huge metropolitan areas. <laughs> and that he would start a restaurant in a building right next to hang on, a building that they would rent out for weddings that God laid upon our heart, that's where the church should start meeting. And by the way, we didn't have a dime budgeted for it. And here's what I say, be informed by the facts, but be guided by faith. And we stepped out the leadership and we did it. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll finish the year well, I mean, unless some of you decide to start tithing, we'll, we'll finish the year. It should be 600000 over what we even budgeted. We'll pay for what took to do this church this year and have more left over so that we might probably go out and do it again. But anyway, anyway, that's just God saying, you leave the specifics up to me. I get a phone call a few days ago. And it's, it's Scott White. And if you've never met Scott, I mean, boy, he, I don't know if he's been diagnosed with ADD, but he should be if he's not. And I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying he's all over the place. He leads the music and then he preaches the sermon. He does the kids. He's, anyway. 
And he said, hey, man, you know that guy that owns the restaurant right next door? Yeah, 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 I know him, I know him. He said, listen, tonight he was at a guy's house that's a part of our church. And he got saved. And I said, you're, you're, talk, you're talking about the Buddhist Catholic guy got saved? He said, yes. This man who is a part of the church that did not exist until four months ago led this man who came all the way from Chicago to open a restaurant next to a building that's not a church, but now it is a church. He led him to Jesus. Now, can I, can I just say, I don't believe in fate, nor do I believe in chance. And I've struggled with that, especially during football season, but I don't believe in any of that. <laughs> but I do believe that there's a loving God. That scripture says he's already got all our days laid out for us before we ever even walk through. That before that development ever happened, God knew. I'm going to put a church right here. I'm going to put a restaurant right here. I'm going to bring a guy here that he's probably going to be like a fish out of water. But I'm going to put a guy here. That's going to lead him to the water that never That God included all these people on this list. And he's the very one that got you to turn on that TV today, to turn on the phone, online, whatever it is, or to sit in this room so that you might hear this preacher say, he loves you, he sent his son to die for you. And he'll save you and forgive you and make you brand new if you'll just turn to him today. I'll make a Baptist want to shout. That's what he'll do for you. Would you bow your heads for me today? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Oh, right now we're about to stand. We're going to sing a beautiful song declaring the majesty of King Jesus. And he is a king, friend. But during this time of praise, it's also going to be a time of invitation. And what I mean by that is this. The gospel message of Jesus it demands a response. It invites you to make a decision. Will I turn to Jesus or will I continue to go my own way? Will I trust in him and receive forgiveness of my sin from him or will I remain lost in my own sin? There are many of you in this room today that you need to turn to Jesus. Hear me, friends. I'm not talking about a guilt remover. I'm talking about a life changer. Would you turn to Jesus right now? Oh, he's already proven to us. He doesn't expect you to come to him all cleaned up. He didn't just die for those who have it all together. Even his own family, they needed a savior. Today, would you come to him? Right now, would you call upon the name of Jesus? Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. 
Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus. Would that be your prayer today, right now? Call upon his name. In just a moment, we'll stand. There'll be pastors down front. You're here today and say, you know what? I I surrender to Jesus. I'm settling this once and for all. I'm going to invite you to come. Walk down to one of these pastors and just say, today, I receive Jesus. Today, I turn to Jesus. And there are many of you in this room as well that while you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the reality is what we've already mentioned, that you're going to come into contact with a lot of people in your family, a lot of friends, a lot of places that you're going to go. And while you may have already given up on them, please hear me, God's not. That maybe you would say, God, burden my heart for their salvation. God, use me to bring healing. Give me the words to say, Father. Use me. And maybe this morning you'd want to come and get in this altar and just say, Lord, a lot of folks I'm about to talk to, I'm going to need you to, I'm going to, need you to work through me. Oh, God, as you speak this morning all across this room, God, some in this room that... They've never followed through in the obedience of baptism. And today they need to go ahead and get ready. Today they need to say, yes, I'll be obedient in this. God, others in this room that you're speaking to their heart. You're bringing them and their families to come and be a part of this church. Because there's more to reach. Oh God, today may they be obedient. We praise you, Lord. And we thank you that with you. The best is always yet to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K, dot org. On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived in the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. We would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you've got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, would increase your faith, and would help you as you mature daily in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless.